Welcome to our family in Nigeria. Welcome to all of our friends everywhere else, those that listen in Kenya, from Kenya, those that listen from India. Thank God for all of you, and welcome. And you are on our hearts. You are in our thoughts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, God. We give you our yes. We give you the desires of our heart. This morning that we would hear from you, this morning that we have come hungry before your throne. And you have said that when we seek you, we'll find you. When we come hungry, will you give us a stone? Will you give us bread? Your son is the bread of life. You will give him, you will give relationship with him and with you through him. Father, today marks a special day on our calendar. It represents the day that Jesus was raised from the grave. There is no thanks big enough that we can offer. Jesus, you said in John 15 that there is nothing greater in a friendship to offer than one's life. You gave your life for us because you desired friendship. But friendship is a two-way street. It requires investment on both sides. So, Lord, we just come before your throne this morning desiring to hear from you. Fill my mouth with your words. I ask, Father, that it is none of my own, but it is only you, because we are hungry. We are hungry for you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus saves. Right? Amen to that. That's such, if you've grown up with it, that can tend to feel like such a generic term. Jesus saves. Yet, for the unbeliever that accepts Jesus into their heart, that is a powerful statement. But how about for the believer that has been saved, known Jesus as Savior for 30, 40, 50 years? See, that statement is not any less powerful. Jesus saves. He came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life, but then gave that life that we might have life. Right? We all know that here. We all know that. And perhaps 
Most of the people online, perhaps you know that as well. We know he did that. We know that he was given the key of David. He was given literally, it says in Revelation, the key to open doors that no man can shut and that no man could even open but him. That is the key to your salvation. That is the key that he purchased on a cross some 2,000 years ago. But is that all it was? I would hope by now those of you at Ignition would immediately be saying in your mind, no, no, it's not just that. It's not just that golden ticket to heaven. It's not just that we get to be with Him for eternity. Because if that was all it was, then why did He pay the price of time when He was here on this earth? He was here for 33 years. Do you know, think about this. Think about this. We talk about His death, burial, and resurrection. Which the death is literally what purchased the life that you and I have in Christ. But do you know the recorded, anyway, in the Word of God, the recorded evidence of his suffering was basically two days. You ever think about that? We talk about the beatings that he underwent. We talk about the anguish on the cross. The separation from his father. Do you know that all boiled down to less than a 48 hour period? Before his death. Now we don't know fully what it means when he says the separation from God. There was three days that he spent in the grave. I don't know personally that I could prove this in Scripture, but I don't believe in those three days he was separated from God. I think the separation came at the cross and leading up to the cross. There was a point, Jesus said when he was on the cross, that, he, that the Father turned his back. And yet we know that God always held him firmly in his hands. Scripture tells us that. So the separation wasn't about God turning his back and running away. It was what Jesus had to go through for you and for me. For our salvation, for our golden ticket? No, wow, so much more than that. Because if it was just that, as I said before, it could have been done so much earlier in life. He would not have had to put the time in that he put here on this earth. So why? Why did he spend 33 years? Is it because he spent 25 of those years or even 20 of those years or even 15 of those years training people? No, he spent three years. Three years training his disciples. Showing his disciples what relationship looks like with the Father. 
So why all the time? Why the 33 years? Why the 30 years up until the point when he started public ministry? Why all that time? I mean, we've seen other things accomplished at much younger ages. David was 15 when he killed Goliath. Right, Samuel, I don't even know how, I think it says it, but Samuel, when he first started hearing from the Lord, was just a young boy. We see examples in, in Scripture of these things being done by these youths, so much younger than Jesus was. So why? Why did it take 33 years? And again, I would hope those sitting here in ignition are already way ahead of me. Oh, I know why. Because, see, he needed that time to be able to teach me and teach you how to have relationship with the Father. Because relationship is not something that we just sign up for and pay our dues and now we have relationship. Isn't like cable TV where you just acquire it. No, see, relationship is paid over time. It's proven over time. Jesus Christ had to prove his relationship with the Father over time. We've talked about this many times. You know, what the Lord put so heavy on my heart, and I I was, was with him just talking to him each day this week, and as I was approaching Sunday... Like, what in the world do you want me to talk about? You know, and, and you know you know that cycle with me and how it works. But I got up early this morning and I'm just pressing into him. And, and this thought just kept coming to my mind, kept permeating my heart. And that was the anguish that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know that there was more anguish there in many ways than even on the cross? Now, I don't know about you. I could, not always, but I could sometimes be an analytical person. I can look back and kind of see how something A plus B equals C, and that seems all pretty nice and neat to me. And one thing that used to bug me, and and I don't say this in a bad way, certainly not a blasphemous way, but one thing that used to bug me is if Jesus is God, which he is, he was God in the flesh, right? He was the son who inserted himself into his own creation. If that's the truth, which we believe firmly that it is, And he knew the beginning from the end. And he knew everything that was coming as God knows. If he knew all that, then why was the cross so hard for him? Why was the night before when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane so hard for him? In fact, so hard that as he prayed in this anguish, he literally sweat blood. Now, I don't know physiologically what it takes in your body to actually do that. I've heard preachers preach on that before. I've never actually talked to a doctor about that. 
But I would think it's pretty intense. So why the intensity? And, and again, I don't mean to be flip or in any way blasphemous, but, but if I am placing myself in God's shoes, in Jesus' shoes, being fully God, knowing absolutely everything, coming into that night, knowing that literally in four days, four and a half days, this is all over. This is all over. Satan will have lost permanently, and everything will have been gained. If I knew that, would it be difficult to move into that time frame? See, I don't believe it would. That's what I've struggled with my whole life, until God finally gave me the answer to that some years ago. And the answer is in this idea of relationship. See, Jesus had to learn how to build relationship. That's where so many Christians get this wrong. He did not come as God. He did not act as God, even though he never stopped being God. Never to this day has he stopped being God. He was God from the moment he was born of the virgin. He was God when he gave up his life. And yes, he gave it up. Read Hebrews. Nobody took it from him. Satan didn't take his life. He said, I have authority to give my own life and to rise it up again. Think about that. This is one who knew he was God by what? By faith. He knew he was God by faith. He knew he was God because he had built relationship with the Father, and the Father had proven to him who he was. If you don't believe me, let's look up. It says Jesus had to learn obedience. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. And then verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. There are two, two items in there that we need to understand. First of all, the fact that he learned obedience. What does this mean? See, for us, if we're talking about a child, you know, someone has a kid and this kid is learning obedience. If somebody were to look at me when I was a little kid, when spankings every day were just a natural part of my life. (laughs) Right? Well, that, that child learns obedience. That child will learn not to run out into traffic. Because it will hurt them. Or that that child will learn not to lie because it hurts them. Right? We learn obedience to teach us what is good for us and what is bad for us. That's not what this is talking about. Because, see, that's talking about sin. We learn 
overcoming sin for the sake of not sinning. That's not what this is when it's talking about that because it said, yet without sin. Right? Jesus was tempted with everything, yet without sin. He never sinned. Ever sinned. If he did, it would have disqualified him for the cross. But he was not even born with sinful flesh. That's why he was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin, so it was not human seed that was fallible. That was already condemned to death upon birth. See, that wasn't him. But yet he learned obedience. What is obedience? John 15 tells us what obedience is. We won't turn there. Man, I bet I've preached off John 15 thousand times. He learned to love. He learned what love meant. He learned that love building into friendship is worthy of giving your life for. Ultimately, what did Jesus have to learn in those 30 years? He had to learn faith. Just like you and me. Now, by the way, why did he have to do that? For the very reason that I just said, because of you and me. Do you know if he came to this earth and he did not insert himself into a situation that he had to learn those things, that he had to be tempted, that he had to go through the very things that we go through. If he didn't do that by design, it would have been no help to you and me. Because we can't look at his life thinking that he lived his earthly life for those 33 years as God, which he did not do. But we can't even think that he did and expect to be able to follow that. How in the world could we expect to follow that? Knowing that he is infallible. Knowing that from birth he knew exactly who he was, exactly what he was going to do, and exactly the price that was going to be paid. If he knew that and did not have to learn that by faith, then it is of no use to us beyond that golden ticket. That's why I'm saying it's more than that. Because if it was just about the golden ticket, just about us being able to go to heaven, he could have come and taken care of it in moments. Because it was just the sacrifice. So why the life? No, the life was to teach us that we can have relationship with God. That we can fight temptation. That we can say no to the enemy. That we can move forward in getting closer to the God who created us in the first place. Oh, and thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that sacrifice, not just the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice of 33 years forcing yourself to begin to understand what it's like for a human to build relationship with God. What an extraordinary thought. 
Man, I missed that for so many years of my life. I've been, I've been saved now for 48 years. I missed that for about 40 of them. I didn't understand what the other 32 and 9 tenths years of his life were about. Literally teaching us what we can have. See, he went through the same things that we did. You know, let's look at some of that. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Just go back a little bit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every single respect, he has gone through the same things that we've gone through, yet without sin. He paved the way. He showed the road. He showed us how we can have relationship. By the way, the, the, I, w- I want to point something out, else out in the previous. If you, if you go back to Hebrews 5, verse 9, and ver- verse 8 where he said he was a son and learned obedience. But verse 9, I wanted to comment on the fact that it says him being made perfect. Okay. I don't know if that's what your Bible says. That's actually a, a, a poor rendering of that word. It's, it's better to be said being made complete. Right? There, the, the Greek there really means more about him being made complete. He was born perfect. He remained perfect. Perfect is without sin. Jesus always was from the beginning to the end perfect. But what was made complete in his life? What was made complete up to the point of him giving his life? What was made complete? It's his obedience. It was his faith. It was his faith in what the Father is doing that required him to believe it. It goes back to what I was saying. Imagine some of the times in your own life when God has called you you to something, you have to believe it. Man, here at Ignition, we have been taken down that road pretty heavily. Right? That we have to believe some of the things that he is telling us. There's no proof to it. See, there's inference to it. Some of the things that the Lord has shown us. He's given us so much inference. He's given us Revelation chapter 3 verse 9. He's given us countless, countless scriptures that in an abstract way point to it. But nothing that says ignition, blah, 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 blah. We have to believe that by faith. Or, in my case, Greg Twiddell, blah, 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 blah. Your case, insert your name. And you have to believe it. Whatever he is speaking to you, faith is required. 
Why was faith required of Jesus? Simply because Hebrews 6 tells us that, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 1, mine just went, tells us that faith is what pleases him. Faith is what pleases him. It didn't all of a sudden not please him with Jesus. Like, well, Jesus, you don't need to do this because I'm, I'm more pleased by, by those others. No, he's included in that. Faith pleased the Father. Jesus knew it pleased the Father. So he built relationship with the Father by the very faith in believing what the Father said. And through that, God gave him confirmations. Even when he was at the beginning of his ministry, and he read out of the book of Isaiah, and he said, Today, this prophecy is fulfilled. Declaring himself as the Son of God. Wow. Wow. What boldness. I mean, we look at that and we think Paul's bold. I mean, think about that. Jesus is the one that we can follow and we can see how his faith grew. Simply because of that, we can expect that same allowance. Man, what an extraordinary thought. What an extraordinary thought. Jesus was tempted as all, as all of us. Let's, let's go look at that. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. I, I, I really don't want it to escape your thinking that Jesus in all of the 33 years, not just you know, because his temptation where, where this is listed came at the beginning of his ministry. And very little is spoken about Jesus in those first 30 years. I don't want you to think that all of a sudden at 30 years old, Jesus started to be on God's radar. And now it's time to really use my son. It wasn't that at all. Those first 30 years was him being made Perfect or complete in his obedience, complete in his faith. He was not placed on the road of his public ministry until he was ready. What an extraordinary thought. What an extraordinary thought. And why? Because he had to learn it so he could teach us how to learn it. Wow. Let, let's just let's just read here the uh, verse one. The temptation of Jesus. This is after he was baptized. He was led into the wilderness. Let's start at verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you, but if you knew that you were being led to go just deal with a bunch of junk, I. I that, that might be where my obedience falls apart a little bit. I don't know. I hope not. But Jesus just went straight for it. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to a whole, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against stone. By the way, I want to point something out here. He didn't just take Jesus in his mind to the top of the temple and say, I'll throw you down. This was a very physical thing. It had to be. It had to be to actually be the threat that Satan was making. Right? There was a threat here. Satan, don't even ask me how Satan had the right or the authority to take Jesus' body to the top of the temple, except that God allowed it. For him to, to say, to be tempted in that way. And so what did Jesus say? He said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I, I just sense right here a little bit of anger, holy righteous indignation brewing in Jesus, you know, in today's vernacular, it would be like Jesus being taken to the to the top of the temple or to some high place being tempted and him just looking at Satan going, seriously? Seriously, you want to go there with this? You know who my father is and you want to do this? See, in, in Jesus' mind... I can just imagine all the conversations that he had had with the Father on what was coming or what he would have to endure, but more than that, the victory. See, it's interesting to me because the Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. It doesn't tell us anything about what Jesus knew ahead of time. That he had to believe by faith. But he said, as it is, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Then again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, to them, to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God. And him only shall you serve. Do you get a sense here that Jesus didn't have time for him anymore? Why do we have time for the devil? Why do we have time to worry about his threats? Jesus didn't. Now Jesus knew he had to go through this. Obviously, if, if he didn't think he would have to go through this, he, he wouldn't have even gone into the wilderness. He was following what the Father was telling him to do. Certainly the Father told him to fast. I don't know about you, but after 40 days, I'd probably be a little hungry myself. That would be tough. No, no food, no water for 40 days. And then Satan's saying, here, you want something to eat? He had to go through this. Why? So he could teach us that we could do it. Not that we could only do it as God. That wouldn't, that wouldn't do us any good because we're not. He had to show us that, he, that we could do it as sold out children of the Most High. Do you know what that purchases you? Do you know what 
Him dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead purchased for you when you accepted Him as Savior? It purchased you the understanding that you can fight the temptation the same. Because Jesus did. And we, the Bible says, we are wrapped in Jesus' hands. And then it said the Father's hands are wrapped around Jesus' hands. We can't be stolen. We can't be taken. So we can fight this temptation. Jesus was tempted just as we were. And I spoke about it before, but I want you to turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 36. We're just going to begin there. This is when Jesus, this is the night before he's put on trial. Well, actually, no, it's earlier in the night before he was put on trial. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He leaves leaves most of the disciples, goes forward with three of the others, then tells them, here, wait here. I need to go pray to the Father. Wait here and just pray. And you know the story. I I don't want to get into the fact that they keep falling asleep and waking up. He wakes them up, falls asleep. You know, that's not the point. That's not the point of this morning. Even though I want to read through this, but... But he goes and he is in anguish. Let's read that. Verse 36. Then Jesus went to them, to a, went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go there and, over there and pray. And talking with, and taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. See, this is, this is not an example of him acting as God because if he acted as God he would know he would know man just put up with this for another another day and a half and you're done he would know that but he said he began to be sorrowful and troubled then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch with me And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If he knew at that point exactly what it was going to take, if he knew, he would not have asked that question. Why do you think he asked the question to the Father? Why do you think even more than that it was put in the Word of God? There are many things Jesus prayed to the Father that we don't read here in the Word. In fact, John himself said if everything was written down about Jesus' life, the world couldn't contain the volumes. So why? Why is this written here? Why is this given to us? Because it's only through this statement that we can understand he believed by faith who he was, who he is. He believed by faith that he was in the hands of the Father and he knew the Father's will was for him to follow through with this. Knowing that the very thing that was coming was the separation. See, it's not about the beating. 
It's not even about the death on the cross or the pierced side. If it was about that, then we better hold up Paul in some pretty high regard. And yet Paul doesn't even hold himself up in that regard. It wasn't about that. It was the faith in believing that a sinless man must go through that for the very life purchase of you and me. That's faith. That's faith. If it wasn't because of that faith, if it wasn't him showing himself as a human, building relationship with his father, we could not do it today. Nor could it have ever been done. But yet we see it in the Word of God. We see relationships in the Word of God that are different than others. Right? How about John? You know what? Let's turn there. John 13. I want to say it's verse 33. Hold on. No. Come on. Okay, yes, sorry. Verse 23, not 33. They were, this was when they were, you know, in the upper room and and they were reclining at table. They were eating together. But verse 23 says, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining table at Jesus' side. So Simon Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. And because Jesus had had just said, somebody's, one of you is going to betray me. So imagine what's going on. John is whom they're talking about here was leaning against Jesus, was kind of pressed into him. And, and Peter, who you would think would have a pretty good relationship with Jesus, right? I mean, he's, he's the rock. He's, he, he's the one that the church was going to be built around. But yet even him, he didn't ask Jesus himself. He said, hey, hey John, hey, John, I, I know Jesus loves you. So you, can you ask him who? The Bible doesn't deny that. In fact, the Bible records that. There was a special relationship between John and Jesus. I don't know why. I don't know why it seems to be separated out from all the others. But it is. Because it says here, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Wait a second, Jesus loves everybody. Yeah, he does. He loves every single one. But yet it was this same disciple, this beloved disciple that had pressed into him that he revealed the entire future to. What an extraordinary thing. And by the way, it wasn't in vision. It 
was in person. Read it. Read Revelation. Starting at chapter 4, it says that John was taken up to the third heaven. He was taken up physically to watch. Now, I shouldn't say physically. It may have been his spirit, but either way, it is him going. And Jesus revealed to him everything that was to come. He didn't do that with the other disciples. didn't do that with Peter. He did that with John. John was the one pressed into him. Bible records that for a reason. Why? Wait, Jesus is fair. He's fair, so we, we need to think he loves everybody, and he does. So, so why separate that out? It gives you a little clue as to what relationship with him is. Relationship with him is not solely dependent upon him. It is not solely dependent upon him pursuing you. In fact, it is really the other, the flip side of that, that begins that relationship. Once we have accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, then we are to pursue him. Just as he pursued the Father, built relationship with him. Just as John pursued Jesus. You don't read any other disciple doing that. And then you also don't read any other disciple that Jesus shares things with. So there was a special relationship there. Now what about, what about later? We know Paul had a special relationship with Jesus. That was after Jesus had already died on the cross, been buried and rose again, and went up to be with, with the Father at the right hand of his throne. We know that Paul was met on the road to Damascus. You know, that that in and of itself is pretty extraordinary, where Jesus meets him and he says, look, what are you coming against me for? I'm literally the one you pursue. But that's not the intimacy. No, in fact, that was Jesus saying, look, you're going after the wrong guy. The intimacy was when... John was taken to the third heaven. I'm sorry, not John, Paul. Paul was taken to the third heaven. He doesn't say much about it. But he was taken there and learned things that he couldn't even utter. You know, let, let's look at that one. That is in 2 Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12, verse 2, it says, I know a man, which is funny. I don't know why Paul didn't just say myself. He's talking about himself. But I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether it be In the body or out of the body, I do not know. In other words, he couldn't tell the difference. This came from an intimate relationship. Why do you think Paul was chosen for that? There are many others in the word of God. David, 
David was chosen for leadership because of his heart. Why did God respond to him in the way that he did? He responded to him because of David's pursuit of God. Same with Moses. You know, we're in this world, we're, we're so chalked into this idea of fairness. And yet, why did these people that I've told you about, why were they so greatly used by God? Was it because they were something special? No. I mean, David was a shepherd boy. Now, I, I think they say from his statues he was good looking, but, you know, did that make him special? <laughs> I don't know if they can even really know that either. No, it's because of his heart for God. His heart yearned for God. How about Moses? Moses was taken through all that he was taken through and bringing the children of Israel out. And then, then they build, you know, this, this thing, this tent of meeting that became the tabernacle. And what's, what's that all about? It was literally so God could talk to Moses, it says, face to face. Right, let's turn there. Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, the tent of meeting, which is the precursor to the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses and when all the people saw that the pillar of cloud standing at the, the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now understand here, it's not talking about God coming and speaking to him in the flesh. It had nothing to do with that. In, in fact, it says that no man can see God. When, when God showed, Moses asked, and God showed him just his back, it, it was instant hair coloring for him the rest of his life. <laughs> right? He, and, and he couldn't even take that. So that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about as a friend talks to a friend. How do you talk to your friend? How do you talk to your friend when you get on a phone call with them? It's not about the process. It's about the intimacy. It's about the conversation. It's about the substance of what you're talking about. It wasn't about going to God with all your needs. It wasn't about going to God with questions that need answering. It was about going to God with his friendship. I could just picture Moses going into the tent, just kind of relaxing and, well, Lord, how was your day? <laughs> just spending time with him. See, there are examples in the word of God like that. Why? Because we can have the same thing. It took me 40 years to figure that out. 
But when God began to open my eyes to relationship with him and God began to open my eyes and my ears to his voice, I understood what was available to each of us. I'm no different than you. You're no different than Moses. You're no different than Paul. In terms of capability, we might be different in history. We might be different in what we say yes to. But God gives that opportunity to every single person who accepts his son as Savior. You have as much opportunity to hear the voice of God as I do. Why don't we believe that? Why do we put prophets up on a pedestal like God will not speak to anybody else? Now, by the way, he does speak through his prophets. In fact, Amos 2 says that he does nothing without telling his prophets first. Who do you think his prophets are? They're the ones intimate with him. They're the ones that press into him and say, I'm interested in relationship with you. Whatever it costs, I will give my very life. I will give everything that I am in building this relationship, not because I want status, not because I want position, but because I want you, God. That's it. What are you willing to sacrifice for relationship with him? Well beyond your salvation. What do you think that'll cost? If you think anything less than everything that you are, then you're missing the mark. Just like the other disciples that seemed to miss the mark that John hit. He hit it because he didn't care about anything else. He didn't care about being teased. Oh, you're just sucking up to the teacher. Teacher's pet. No, in fact, you kind of get an idea that they were probably a little bit jealous. And then other things even creep in. Boy, we can all have that relationship with him. All of us. In fact, we all need to. We all need to because, yes, God gives his word through his prophets. But it is not so the prophets can lead the church. Jesus is the one that leads the church. You have to have relationship with Jesus Every bit as much as one who is given a prophetic word because the spirit in them is going to resound with the spirit in you that that word is truth. Because it's supposed to be the same spirit. The Holy Spirit will not lie to himself. can't. So every member of the bride, every member of the church is to have this same responsibility 
of building relationship with the Father, building relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, we each have that responsibility because we don't have to trust in the words of man. We can have that relationship with Him so we know truth. It doesn't have to be a surprise to us what is here and what is coming. Shouldn't be a surprise. Shouldn't be. And it doesn't mean that he tells us all the same things. We're all given a piece of this mosaic. And when we don't each fall into our piece, then there's something missing. But each piece is intimate with him, or is supposed to be. See, one thing Jesus did not complete at the cross. He did complete our right. He purchased our right to become his children. But one thing he didn't complete is his victory. Victory on this earth. Not victory over sin. That was complete. What was not complete is the very thing that the Jews hung him for in the first place because they thought he was coming to bring victory to them, take them out of bondage. See, he is doing that. He is going to do that through his bride. And his bride's got to wake up. Got to wake up and see that they have a responsibility in that. That responsibility is intimacy with him. Giving their full yes of their full life. Alex, come on up. Before we close in prayer, wow. Were you listening? I mean, were you listening? This is significant. This is significant. The life of Jesus and the example in walking by faith, there is such hope. And yes, we've heard it before and we've heard it before, but it is significant, it is huge. It's interesting what even how the, the Lord led me in a similar um, theme for the women in the ladies' class downstairs. But wow, to walk in the victory. There just isn't excuse for defeat ever. And yet, it does knock on our door. But the thing that, that the Holy Spirit was just saying in this message today as, as I'm listening is, don't get confused. You know, we talk a lot about spiritual authority and um, spiritual warfare and things like that. Don't get confused that the authority that you have is not authority over circumstances. You can petition the Lord for the change in circumstances. You can respond by faith and walking in purity that sometimes uh, allows for better circumstances because you reap what you sow. But the authority is over the impact of the trials through circumstances and through things in this life. 
So when Romans 8 lists all that stuff that we're more than conquerors, nothing will separate us from our love. If God is, is for us, who can be against us? Everybody can be against us. What that means is it doesn't have a, an impactful vote. They can vote. They can be against us. But it has no effect because of what Jesus paid for. That is so exciting. And it's, because, and it's possible by faith. And man, I, um, I, I get so um, encouraged that more and more, as the Lord opens my eyes to this, the, the knocks against me that are defeat or despair or you know, things that hit us and knock us around, it's, you're going to become, and I made reference to this before, but it reminds me of those, those little toys called Weeble Wobbles. You, know, they, they, you knock them over Weeble Wobbles, but the Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And it's an older commercial. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, by faith, I can be a Weeble Wobble. I will get knocked. I might get knocked all the way sideways, but I will pop back up. Because of Jesus, because of his power. The more I believe him for, the more effect that I allow him to have in my life. Because, see, we are to be conduits and vessels through which he can work. That's what, that's what it's um, sanctification and relationship with him is all about. So this is exciting. Sometimes we have to take the common message of the word of God when you're in the word and you're in church and you hear it. And you need to get a fresh enthusiasm. You need to let the Holy Spirit say, give you a wow, give you a a revelatory epiphany that is just earth shattering and let yourself get excited. You know, it is uh, it just should never be lost on us how significant this is. And and it it ought to be significant enough to to let's just how about set aside some of our excuses. And, And I'm so talking to myself, things that I justify because I'm deciding not to believe for what God has said, who I am, and what his will is for me on this life, in this life. When I believe him for that, I automatically know it, can, it has nothing to do with me. Because it's just too high. It's just too big. It's too significant. It's got to be him. Do you ever notice sometimes that it takes your ultimate weakness to sometimes have encounters with the Lord? When I was just really deathly ill for those 10 days many, many months ago. The, the encounters and experiences I had with the Lord were, I mean, I wouldn't wish that sickness on anybody. I don't want to go through it again. It was, it was ter- physically terrible. But boy, I saw God because of what I had no capacity for. It was literally to take a breath and to even get a level temperature. It was all the power of God. It was just, and I remember thinking, God, I just so so often I would just cry. I cried a whole lot during that sickness, and I was just like, "Lord, forgive me for even just my sinful flesh, that it takes this much crushing in my flesh to see Your greatness, to see who You are, that You are carrying me. You're not removing immediately my circumstances. Does He do that? Yes, He does, and He will. He will. There will be a moment when you can, even by flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you can speak to sickness." And it will flee because Jesus has promised that even more works than he did will be done by his people. But when he, if where there's a going through, if there's an enduring process, he's there and just as powerful and you are just as victorious and more than a conqueror in the going through as you are in the eradication or removal of that, of that trial. So we really are victors all the time. 
in him when we believe him for it. And that is what I love about the word today. When I look at what Jesus learned, there was nothing about Jesus' circumstances that were easy. Certainly his death, but not even his ministry. I mean, tons of people didn't believe him. It even hindered his miracles in his own hometown because of their unbelief. Constantly scoffed at, constantly doubted. You know, I mean, we we get a bad review on Facebook or or get a, a thumbs down, and sometimes it can rock our world for the day. And, and yet he was scoffed at and rejected and all kinds of things. But he was so victorious. He was so victorious because what, what the enemy can never take from you is your faith and who you are in Christ. That is something that no external factor can remove from you because it is an internal promise. God promised us all spiritual blessings, great and precious promises. That by these, First Peter said, you might be divine partakers of what is given to us to escape what is in the world through lust and corruption. So, wow, I just, I encourage you, share this word, listen to it again. Do not let this, you call it an Easter message, just call it a message, man. Brooke, I think, even said earlier in worship, it's, it's Easter every Sunday. We serve a risen Lord. Praise God. And, and if, if, if it's been a long time since you have been exuberant with joy, even to the point of just tears over how great a God that you are, then something needs to be removed in your life. Something needs to be awakened because we ought to be walking in absolute awe of that all the time. If there's something else that gets you more excited, if sports, if food, if watching your favorite ball game gets you more enthusiastic than the God that you serve, Man, ask God to shake it out of you. There are some entanglements in this life that are weighing you down. Because, wow, what we have, we are about to see Jesus face to face, man. Colin is there with him now. Life is short. It is but a vapor. Man, we've got five more minutes here in this life to get it, to give God our faith, to get the rewards that he wants to give. Because as Greg said in Hebrew says, faith pleases him. Let's not miss it, folks. Let's not miss it. We are called. We are remnant. We are remnant people. Let's take that as seriously and awesomely as we can. And it's not a sobering, serious, okay, I guess no more fun. What? It's the most fun in the whole world to be in the presence of the Lord. There's just nothing better. There's no greater high. There just isn't one. It's awesome. It is all the awesomeness this life can offer times like a billion Because this life doesn't offer even awesomeness, right? God is good. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Oh God, you are mighty. You are worthy. Oh, you gave us a a, a pathway, a blueprint. You gave us an example by inserting yourself into our realm of humanity so that we would know And you said in your scripture, so we would walk. We ought to walk as he walked. You you made a way to escape every temptation, every trial that comes against us. Why? Because you are faithful, God. You are able to keep that which we've committed. We, our spirit, our, our flesh may be weak, but our spirit is willing. And by faith, you come and you you. Our, our strength and our weakness, it's so awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you that when you rose again, that literally 
is the victory that we walk in. God, let us not forget your word, especially the word in Ephesians that speaks to the ecclesia, which we are. It literally is a letter to us, to the bride, that the very same power that raised you, Jesus, from the grave is within us by your Holy Spirit. Wow. What that means, we will only discover by faith. Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Help us to just know you more, to be renewed and transformed in the spirit of our mind, to have the mind of Christ. Oh, your ways are higher. We can't even comprehend all that you are, but we want to. We want to, because there's just nothing left in this life. There's nothing left, and the world knows it. They know it. Materialism is not cutting it anymore, and that's why everyone is turning to mysticism. Because they're hungry for you, God, and they need the truth. And God, raise up your people, wake up your bride, that we might speak truth. Because if we don't speak truth, blasphemy will reign, and mysticism of the evil one will rise. But God, all power is from you. Let us seek you with a broken and contrite heart, giving hope in declaration and in just our own, the demonstration of our own lives sold out and laid down before you, God, to a hopeless world that is looking for you and most looking for you in all the wrong places. Oh, God, we love you. We want to just... um, Have your will, ultimately, thy will be done on earth as it has been planned and set in motion in heaven. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.